This past week I was studying for the message and I, I heard a man share a personal story of how he and his, his wife had experienced the loss of a stillborn child uh, while his wife was 39 weeks pregnant. So if you could imagine, I, I, I couldn't, but if, if you could, you ladies especially that have carried children, you could imagine 39 weeks and all the preparation that has gone into giving birth to that child. And they went to the doctor's office to find out the child had died in the womb. The man said they had the funeral for his, for his daughter. And they went, oh, I'm so sorry. May I dismiss the children? Uh, if you have, if, if, if uh, children, if you want to get up and go, I'm so sorry. I forgot about that. Yeah, sorry about that. Thank you. What a, what a blessing that we have this many kids coming and someone to take care of them, so thank you. The man said after his wife found out that she would uh, be giving birth to a, to a child without life, she, they had the funeral, they went to the, to the burial, but the man and wife went, uh, decided that they would still love to have children. And so two times though she miscarried the child that she was was care the child that she was carrying and then finally she told her husband i have great news i'm expecting so they went back to the same doctor's office where they had received the news a few years earlier that their child would be stillborn and uh, she was examined by the same doctor who gave that news. And after the examination, the doctor, with a very distraught look on his face, said, I do not know how to tell you this, but you are not carrying a child. Somehow that test was inaccurate. And the man said he and his wife walked outside and they went and sat in the car in the hospital park or in the doctor's parking lot and they were holding hands and the man so we just started to pray and he said I prayed and then my wife made one statement God I know you're not mean but today it sure feels like it God I know you're not mean but today it sure feels like it Interestingly enough, he transitioned from, from sharing that story about his wife into music. And he was talking about the way that churches and Christians sing and listen to music today. And he wasn't comparing hymns to contemporary songs or whether you use a screen or whether you use a songbook, but rather he talked about how the selection of songs, and please, Miss Carolyn, I'm not talking about our church. I'm just sharing because you... Are amazing but he said how the selection of songs in many churches and the playlists of many Christians are full of songs that are uplifting upbeat and over the top with joy and he said but yet when we open the songbook of the Bible the Psalms over a third or what we would define as psalms of lament. A psalm of lament is, is a psalm that is written from a place of brokenness or a place of sorrow 
or a place of desperation. And the author of the psalm invites the reader into his place of brokenness, but also into his pursuit, sometimes a questioning pursuit of God's goodness and God's justice and God's mercy. A psalm of lament is a prayer of pain that leads us to trust. He went back to, the man went back to his wife's prayer that day of, God, I know you're not mean, but today it sure feels like it. And hers was a prayer of lament, turning to God in her brokenness and trying to make sense of the bad circumstances in her life that were in the hands of a good, caring, loving God. God, I know you're not mean. But today it sure feels like it. Yesterday I was out at Beams Chapel for the graveside service of a 26-year-old young lady who died of cancer. 26. Make sense of that. And what do you do with that? I mean, well, well, I was there and I had to remind the family who's asking very real questions, how can a good God, and I have to remind them, we live in a very broken world. A broken world where we will sorrow and we will weep and we will experience hurt and we will experience loss, but there's hope because God did not leave us alone. He sent Jesus to heal the brokenness, to turn our sorrow into joy, to provide hope in the dark. And, and, and it's so important for all of us to be reminded of what, this, what an author and, and speaker, Paul Tripp, will sometimes use this phrase, we live in the already but not yet. The already but not yet. Meaning, Jesus has already conquered sin, right? But we don't yet live in a world without sin. Jesus has conquered death. But not yet, because we still live in a world where we experience death. We live in this already, but not yet world. And at the beginning of Psalm 2021, I'm sorry, at the beginning, at the beginning of the year of 2021, I read this Psalm of Lament of chapter 13, and it connected so well with my heart. The words of King David, who is the author of the psalm, and some of you may know King, heard of King David well, some of you may not know, but just briefly to understand the context, King David was anointed to be king as a child. He was the already anointed king, but living in the not yet of his world because he was not yet king. In fact, when this psalm was written, he was on the run from the present king. And he's wondering, God, like, this is what you said? This is where I am? Help me make sense of this. So I want to read these six verses and then just work our way through the time together, through our time together, these six verses in Psalm chapter number 13. The Bible says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I took the message, title of the message for the song from a statement in one of the commentaries that I was studying when he said that David has, in this psalm, he moves from a sigh to a song. No doubt many in this room are struggling right now. And, and, and one of the questions, maybe not the biggest, but one of the questions is, and how long? Like, how long am I going to suffer this grief? How long am I going to carry this anguish? How long will I be uncertain about my future? How long are we going to deal with this pandemic? How long is this separation and division going to exist in our nation and in our, in our own, own home? God, how long until you do something about this? And that is exactly what David was asking. In these first two verses, you see four times the words, how long? The verse asks, like, how long are you going to forget me? No, wait, wait a second. Can an omniscient God, an all-knowing, omnipresent God, can he forget anything? I mean, that's a, that's a tough question, right? How long will you forget me? But doesn't it feel like that sometimes? It feels like God forgets me when I pray and my prayers go unanswered. It feels like God forgets me when I look and others seem to be blessed by him and, and I, I'm struggling. It seems like God forgets about me when suffering comes my way and sometimes when, for many of you, it has been a wave after a wave after a wave of suffering and you're like, God, what have you forgotten about me? And I have a wonderful answer for you. Isaiah chapter 49, in the midst of the city of Jerusalem being destroyed and devastated and loved ones being carried away into captivity, Isaiah 49 reads this. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But the circumstances sure didn't seem that way. And that's why it continues to say, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Hey, yeah, here, come on into church and let's sing and let's worship God. And you feel like God has no idea what's going on in my life because he's forgotten me. And that's how they felt. The answer that God gives them can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Could, could a woman forget the child that she is actually truly giving life and sustenance as she carries that baby? Could she forget about that child? And he says, huh, even these may forget. 
I don't know how many women would, but there may be some that forget. Yet I, the Lord says, will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I'm not sure what your circumstances are. and We're all struggling in some way. But then to think that God's forgotten me and his answer is, I have not forgotten you. I could not forget you because your very name as my people, it's on my hand. You ever write something? I know when I was in high school before cell phones and reminders and all those kinds of things, teenagers, forgive us, we actually used pens. Uh, I, I would write on my hand right here to do something. Sometimes it was to remind me to, uh, to stop and do something that my wife asked me to do. Sometimes it was to remind me something I needed to do. But I would write on my hand. You know what the purpose of writing on my hand? To remind me of something that I could forget that I did not want to forget. <laughs> God did not want to forget us so much. He engraved, not wrote that would come off with ink. He engraved us onto his hands. <laughs> if you're a true believer in Jesus, you are on his hands. But David's other question was not just, have you forgotten me? He's like, have you turned your face from me? Have you forsaken me? Like, if you, you could forget something, and we all have, men, right? We've all forgotten something that our wives have asked us to do. Unintentionally. Hiding? That's intentional. Hey, God, you forgotten about me? No, I haven't forgotten about you. I have written you on my hand. Have you forsaken me you just walked away you're hiding yourself from me and 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 while that may sound that may sound so difficult here's what here's the truth that i would love for us to pull out of this david felt forsaken by god But the fact that he felt forsaken by God shows us, it reveals to us, David had a belief in God's loving kindness. You cannot be forsaken by someone you have no trust or belief in. I've never been forsaken by Batman. Like, I have had some really difficult times, and I have never one time said, you know, Batman should have showed up. Or or forgive me, my daughter's a big Marvel fan. Where is Iron Man when you need Iron Man, right? I have never one time gone through a struggle and just raised my fist to the sky to say, Tony Stark, I need you. Where are you? I don't believe in that. The fact, though, that David was turning to God after he thought God forsook him, shows that he really had a trust and a belief in God. But not only that, he was talking to God, even when there was assumption that he wasn't even there. He kept talking to God, believing that the God that had forsaken him was actually listening to him. Why yell at someone who's not there? So we see this glimpse into, into the loving, the, the love that David had. Like, you, you're, you've forgotten me and you've abandoned me. But I know in my heart, you're there. And you're listening to me. And that's so important because as, as, as David continues on, and I'm going to back up to those verses, as David continues on, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my 
soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day. And here's the thing. When we feel like God has forsaken us, it's very important, I believe, for us to continue to talk to God and not talk just to ourself. Because as we listen to ourselves, can I tell you something? Our feelings, your feelings lie. I did not say they're not real. You really feel those feelings. But they lie to you. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Your heart is deceiving you. But as we listen to the world, the world says, Follow your heart. And God wants us not to follow our heart, but to follow our Lord. He's given us his word. I think, I think many Christians really struggle with this because we have that world speaking into our heart that says you should be happy. You should have what you want. You should do what you want. And yet that is not what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus made it so very clear to his disciples what it means and what the cost is to follow me. He said to his disciples, don't be surprised when people hate you. They hated me first. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? We will be rejected. So when we're rejected, it doesn't mean he's forsaken us. It means we're following Jesus. Time and time again, Jesus speaks to his disciples. John 16, you will have sorrow. So if we follow Jesus... And we can expect that life is not always going to be great. We will sorrow, we will weep, and we will lament. James says, rejoice in your sufferings because that's how your faith will grow. Following Jesus means we're going to have trials so that our faith will grow. So when we have trials, it's not because he's forsaken us. But that's what the world, that's what the, the outside culture wants to tell us. But his word reminds us that you're not really following me unless you have surrendered all to me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. I think, I think it's very easy to forget that we are told in Ephesians 6, there's an armor of God for us as Christians to wear. Why, why are we given armor? Because we're in a battle. Life is not going to be easy everywhere we go. We are, we are in a a battle, and that's why your, your personal faith and even the community of faith that you have is so vital. I spoke to a man very recently who grew up in church. His grandfather was a pastor, so he was in church all the time. And here's what he told me he's an adult now, he's in his late 20s. And he said, Brian, I'll describe to you my faith five years ago. I was a you version verse of the day Christian. That was it. Oh, I saw the Bible. I saw the verse of the day. He said, and then tragedy struck and a very dear loved one was gone unexpectedly in a moment he woke up and there was death. And he said, I crumbled. I crumbled. And he said, in, in that time though, however, instead of turning from the Lord. He said, I turned to the Lord and I began to dig deeper and deeper into the word. And this is what, this is what he said. I became a promise collector of the Bible. I started collecting the promises. It wasn't just a verse of the day. I was collecting what God had said. And he said, when two years later, when death again tragically struck, he said, it hurt 
terribly. But I was at a point in my life then in following Jesus where I could actually minister to people even though I was suffering grief. Isn't that what God wants to do with us? But sometimes I think that man that we talked about at the beginning, we, we listen to music or we feed our souls as if we should always be on the top side. And David here in this, this chapter reminds us that sometimes life circumstances don't make sense. So don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Life is hard, but I know you're good. I'm in a struggle, but I know I can trust you. I feel alone, but I know what you said. You'll never leave me or forsake me. Then David goes on and he talks about his enemy. At the end of verse, sorry, one more, back up. At the end of verse number two, he says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And then he goes on and says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David's concerned about this enemy. This enemy, to, to our knowledge, as best we can understand, is Saul. Lord, this, this enemy, you, you've got to, here's God what you have to do. You have to understand. Please hear me. Please consider me. Lord, please help my eyes to see what you can see. Because here's where I'm at. I think death is inevitable for me. And Lord, my victory is tied to your testimony. David had been anointed by the prophet of God to be the next king of Israel. If he dies, God's word will fail. And so David said, Lord, this is, you, you've, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you've forsaken me. But Lord, if, if you let me end up where I could see myself going, you, your testimony is on the line here. My victory is tied to your testimony. You know, that's true as un in our lives as well. As unbelievers watch the lives of those who claim that we follow a perfectly sovereign, wonderful, good God. And when we get upset and mad and walk away from God, they got to scratch their heads sometimes and say, I thought you said your God was good. I thought you said your God was loving. I thought you said your God was in complete control. We have to understand our lives and our reactions to even the difficult moments of our lives are tied to the testimony of God. That's why we have to continue to return to the word of God to remind us of the truth instead of our feelings. I mean, what choices do we have when things get hard? We could turn from God or we could turn to God. We could think about our problems and that brings sorrow or we could pray about our problems and that brings security as we were reminded who's in control. We can choose to praise him for all he's accomplished or we can choose to withhold praise because well, he didn't give us what we needed. But let's be honest, when we withhold praise from God, what does that do to God? He doesn't need us. He doesn't rely on us. He's not waiting for us to say, oh, I need that praise today. No, no, we, we sing. We, we declare the goodness and the character and the love and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Not because it's going to change our circumstances, but because it'll change us in our circumstances. 
Because that's exactly what we see happens to David in these final few verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. That first word, but, or in some, some, in some versions would say, yet. That, that is the pivot point. Here's how I feel. Here's where I am. But. I will trust in your steadfast love. That's, this is unfailing love. I'll rejoice in your salvation. That is his unfailing commitment. See, our covenant with God is fully reliant on him. And he never, never fails. David says, I'm, I'm going to sing to God because he has overwhelmed me with his goodness. And you think, in Five verses, David, you went from asking if God has forgotten you and forsaken you to saying, I am going to sing because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. David, what changed? Are, are, are you not on the run anymore? Oh, I'm still on the run. You still have an enemy. I still have an enemy. Are you king yet? No, I am not yet king. Then what's changed? Oh, I've just reminded my heart who's truly in charge. I've reminded my heart of what I can truly rest in. But you have to understand what it took for David to get to this point. Hurt, sorrow, pain, grief, concern, struggle. But that struggle became an avenue for God's glory. Sometimes, I think every one of us in here can understand this. Sometimes the areas in our life, the times in our life we never would have chosen for ourselves are the times that have drawn us closest to God. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, wrote something as if, if I could, meaning I don't think he thought he should. He said, if I could, I would pray for more trials because it is in the trials when I am the most comforted. I, don't, I wouldn't go around asking for more trials. But what he was trying to say is, I know it's in the trials that I am comforted most by God. A verse that I would sometimes see on graduation announcements or sometimes see it on a wedding program is Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a beautiful verse where God says, I know the plans I have for you. Oh, there are plans of good and not of evil or plans of your well-being and not for disaster. But you understand, Jeremiah was prophesying those words of God over the heap of devastation that was left after the temple and the walls of the city of God had been torn to the ground. As people were being carried away to a foreign land to serve a foreign God, Jeremiah is prophesying the word for the Lord. I know the plans I have for you and they are for good and not for evil. They are for your well-being and not for a disaster. Like, but look, and God's like, I can see. see. Outside of time, he knows the end from the beginning. And when ends, just take the words good Friday. What was good about that day? The Son of God died. Nobody celebrated on Friday, on that good Friday. Nobody celebrated. Everybody was grieving. No one had any idea of what was next. But see, on the other side, 
of the resurrection and on the other side of the ascension uh, back to heaven and on the other side of the fact that Jesus has taken his place in the throne and has promised to come back. On the other side, we can now look back at the worst day in the history of the world when the Son of God died and we can call it good because it brought our salvation, our way of salvation to the Father. Ah. So if, if you're in a struggle, here's my, here's my closing thoughts for you. Talk to God. Don't talk to yourself. As David's words, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. And say, hey God, oh Lord, here's what I feel. And pour out your complaints. Do it humbly. Don't, don't approach God like he, he owes you anything because he owes us nothing. But approach God humbly and pour out your complaint. Here's what I feel. And after you pour out your complaints to God, go to the Bible and, and say, here's what I see. And begin reading the promises that God has given to us. And here's what I see. Let me tell you what you see. You'll see that God calls us the apple of his eye. I was with a dear friend who's a Hebrew scholar recently, and he told me what that means. He said the word apple, it, it, the, the Hebrew word is not fruit. It has nothing to do with the fruit. It's just the way the translation was done. He said it's the very middle, the very heartbeat, the very, the, 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 the very center of the eye. And he, here's what he said. Uh, you probably have heard how we would protect our eye at all costs, and God would protect us because we are the center of his eye. He, it's actually the Hebrew word for little man. You are the little man of my eye. You are what I will guide and protect. But he said, here's the beautiful part of that. If we are the little man of God's eye, it means we are so close to the face of the Father that we see our reflection in his pupil. I got happy about that one. You are the little man of God's eye. He's so close to you. You could see he's not forsaking you. That's what your Bible will remind you of if we see it, which then says, here's what I know. I know that he knows the end from the beginning. I know that he is good. I know that he has given his son for me. And I know that he knows best how to write my story. And I know he knows what's best because Here's who I know. I know that Jesus was actually the one who was forsaken by the Father for me. So I might sometimes feel it, but I never am because he was. Oof. Ha. That's so good. And here's the thing. He's not just writing your story. He's writing your story into his. Because if he was just writing our story, there would be some, there could still be some tragedy because it just comes to an end. Like, eh, that's like how good, that's not really good. But he's not just writing your story. He's writing our story into his story. And it's all beautifully connected. 
This past week, I had the privilege of being in Ohio. I was preaching at a, at a Christian school revival, and, and, and on a, a Wednesday night, I went over to a church where my, my second cousin actually attends the church, and I got to spend some time with him, hadn't seen him in a long time. And here's one thing he said. He said, Brian, we were talking. He said, Brian, do you realize it's been 99 years since, our, since my grandmother and his grandfather, my grandmother, his grandfather were brother-sister. It's been 99 years since they came over from Hungary. Could you imagine? They never had any idea of all that would be taking place in their families over the next 100 years. And I, I just sat back and I, I've, I've been pondering that for a long time, like, wow. And here's what I was thinking when I was putting this sermon together. You in Luray, Virginia are a part of the story of two immigrants from Hungary 100 years ago. Like, how cool is this connection? You are a part of my story, which goes way back beyond 100 years, but from the past 100 years was two immigrants coming from Hungary who, who's, my grandmother lived in Hammond, Indiana, and her husband died very young, and so my mom didn't have a, a dad, and so my mom was raised by my cousin's grandfather, and we all called him Uncle John, and Uncle John served the Lord, and it's where my mom was saved, it's where my dad was saved, it's where our, my entire family was saved, and I got saved, and we followed the Lord, and the Lord brought us to Luray, Virginia, to connect into your story, but it's not your story, it's not my story, it's his story. Oh! Yeah, it's been hard this past year. It's been a tough two years, but oh my goodness, do I now want to stand and rejoice in the goodness of our God. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so that's how we're gonna close. We're gonna sing of the goodness of God. Whew. We're gonna sing of the goodness of God. How long, oh Lord, are you going to forget me? I've never forgotten you. You're on my hand. Are you going to be hiding your face from me? I'm not hiding my face from you. You could see yourself in my pupil if you just look. But I feel, read my word. I've already told you the truth. You can know I'm writing your story. And I will write a beautiful story because it's a part of my story. And I have given my life for you to be a part of this story. Huh. Okay, then let's sing about the goodness of God. Would you stand with me, Aaron? Would you come, worship team? We're gonna just simply sing this morning as we close. I will sing of the goodness, of the goodness, of the goodness of God. And if your heart's crying out, how long? Woo, this is for you. How long? Oh, oh, he's right there. And let's sing how he's good how his mercy never fails, how his love is always present, how he is always there and guiding us.